We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. The Minnesota Timberwolves have hired a president of basketball operations. So for that, Charlie Johnson and I have pulled Britt Robson here out of uh, off-season sure. hibernation, out vacation habit, mode. Right. And, music uh, writing, moribund music yes, writing. Yes, yes, not hibernation. Right. That was pejorative. That's what, right. <laughs> what, what, is, what is life for you like once the Wolves end their season? Um, well, a lot of the music publications I write for know that when the season's over, um, I can write more for them. So April actually, provided they don't make the playoffs, turns out to be a pretty busy month. But uh, uh, I'm going with my family on a trip, a camping trip to uh, Zion, the Grand Canyon, and Bryce wow. Canyon in June. So I'm April and May is going to be some music writing, and apparently now that we have a little bit of news, maybe some Wolves writing. Um, You're not a big draft guy, though. No. Well, I mean, you know, I go because it's my first exposure to it pretty much. I, I think it's important, to, you know, to know what you don't know, mm-hmm. and I don't know the draft. I'm not going to take the time to do it. I'm far rather watch NBA basketball than college basketball. I don't want to watch a college coach, you know, abuse a bunch of impressionable kids. And, you know, that's pretty much what the whole thing is about. And uh, I, I'm kind of the, the same way, too. But I, I was actually you know, talking to a friend who said, you oh, know, have you started digging into draft boards and this and that? And I was like, kind of what you're saying. It's not I, I, I watch so much more NBA now. It's not it's not really my thing to to dig into. But I thought he had a good point. And he's like, yeah, but it is really. It is one of the most important things, if not 
the most important element of team building. So I'm, I guess his that conversation kind of had me torn, and I was like, okay, maybe I need to watch some. But I, who knows what the Wolves will even be doing? Maybe they'll be trading that pick. Maybe they'll be. It's just such a crapshoot that yeah, I. Yeah, well, that's with the it. thing. I mean, it depends on the good use of your time. Yeah. You know, I mean, for me, what's the point of watching? You know, yeah. a thousand college people knowing that one of them may be a ninth man this year. Right. You know, and that's not a good use of my time. Yeah. Right, what about you? Are you, Charlie, Charlie Johnson is here as well. Um, are you, I guess we haven't worked together in an yeah. off season, so. I like, no, I'm with Brett. I don't know how you could really cover the NBA and really cover college basketball and be giving your full effort to both. When the draft rolls around, I'll do research and I'll try to provide information, but I don't provide opinions. Yeah, it, like with Josh Okogie last season, mm-hmm. you know, I think he gets drafted and try and write something right afterwards, and I find myself going back and looking at highlights. Like, what is how much am I able to? How much information are you able to glean from that? I think about Chris Dunn a few years back, right? And he's sprinting up and down the floor and is going to perfect fit for Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, right. and it's <laughs> we hate it apparently after six months. <laughs> so yeah, ask for a trade, right? Chris yeah. Dunn. Well, theoretically, there was, there was um, reporting that said he certainly was unhappy, yeah. um, which was baffling to anybody who covered the team. I mean, because he was Tom Thibodeau's favorite player. Oh, my God, you know. <laughs> Rubio played well. Not, yeah, and Chris played well. <laughs> <laughs> every single time, every single time. Um, all right, well, we're not going to talk about Chris Dunn that much, hopefully, on this podcast or the draft. Um, I want to just dig into what our initial reactions were to the Garrison Rosas hiring and as Charlie and I have talked about on this podcast before, and you kind of get people sending you messages on Twitter and this and that, like, oh, what's your, how do you rank the four executives to be chosen? And I, I struggle with that too, similar to the draft. Yeah, it's, it's very like, similar to the draft. Where you're like, I don't, how much information do I have? So I look at Gerson Rosas, and yeah, the Rockets are a good organization, sure, but maybe he was the, Maybe he was the influential force behind bringing in Dwight Howard that mm-hmm. didn't work that well, or, or some of those sort of things. Like, you don't necessarily know. It's so veiled as to what happens in front offices across the league that, you know, it's hard to know. So you, you do trust the people to some extent that are doing their due diligence. Rosas obviously has a – is well-respected across, you know, across the league, as it was Langdon and Booth and maybe Billups. I'm not sure. Um, but – it's it it's hard for me to say home run, grand slam, you you nailed it, everything is moving in the right direction. But you think about it, and if the Wolves are in a great place four or five years from now and it's it's the middle of the playoffs and they're in on the verge of going to the Western Conference Finals, Gerson Rosas will have had played an instrumental role in that happening. So it again, like the draft, right. it's big. Um so I guess what is Charlie, maybe you go first. Or just your initial reaction when you see your John Krasinski, Brit's colleague, uh, push notification that the, that yeah. the Wolves have landed him. My initial reaction was positive. You know, I think it's a, a good decision. I can't have any real insights because I don't know the guy, but I thought that the process that they took seemed to to play out well, and it seemed to be an appropriate approach to take. I will say. On Gerson Rosas's LinkedIn profile, it says he played a significant role in the successful pursuits of James Harden, Chris Paul, and Dwight Howard. So, there you go. There you go. I wrote that. That was totally <laughs> a guess. But. but no, I I think that it's an interesting play because 
Gerson Rosas, the Rockets the last like three or four years have been really interesting where they had the James Harden and Dwight Howard experience and then they revamped the roster. They decided that's not the way we want to play. That's not the kind of personnel we want to have. So they revamped the roster to become this NBA powerhouse and they did it all well. They missed the playoffs one year, but they they remained really competitive. 41 and 41, I think they're worse. Yeah, and the Wolves are kind of in a similar situation where they have Carl Anthony Towns right now. Maybe he's not James Harden, but then they have a mess around him and they need to figure out how to turn, you know, clean up that mess without cratering. So I think from that angle, Gerson Rosa says interesting experience, but you know, beyond that, I was just watching the process play out. What about you, Britt? What was, when did you find out? Uh, about actually relatively recently for me, about a half an hour after it happened, which is uh, a half hour ago. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I mean, it's one of those things where every now and then I'll check my phone on something and I was, uh, you know, uh, obviously NBA Twitter is uh, a decent part of my feed. And so it came up pretty, pretty quickly. But I guess the first thing I would say is, uh, what it isn't. It isn't Scott Layden running this team. Mm -hmm. It isn't uh, Glenn Taylor being so involved that uh, you really get the in- a sense that it, the fix was in all along and it was an inside job. Um, you do get the sense, I mean, this guy left one interview with the Wolves and went and interviewed the Wizards, uh, with mm-hmm. the Wizards. Uh, and if you believe the reporting, and you know some of it, of course, is going to be shined a little bit because you've got to polish the apple now that you've chosen the apple. But I think, you know, they said that, they didn't. The original idea was to go from four to two, and then to one. And after he was the third guy interviewed, Rosas, uh, that um, they just said, "This is our guy." And and they made a formality of interviewing Billups on Monday, uh, but kind of knew all along that this is who they wanted. Um, and that makes sense to me, quite frankly, because. Um, I think you have to address some real basic things, and and one of them is how do you uh, you know get blood out of a turnip when it comes to the salary structure the Wolves have. The second is how do you maximize Towns. Uh, the third is how do you change the culture in terms of player development and fitting people into roles, and not only. Fitting people into roles is one is to create a role that the person fits in. Another is to develop the person so they fit the role. And I do think that's one of the things that Houston has done well. Um, They have chosen people. I mean, Trevor Ariza was absolutely perfect for them. Uh, P.J. Tucker, too. Yeah, Mabute. I mean, the, the, the sneaky things Houston did were defensively. And, you know, some of that was, uh, you know, you know they got Bezdelic, who was was obviously a good defensive coach. But I, I do think that all the threes and the hardened ball and everything uh, obscures the fact that when they were really, really good, and I think they peaked last year, partly because they lost Ariza and Mabute to some extent, um, that they were a really good defensive team. And so, where the potential on the Wolves roster is right now is defensively, Towns aside. Um, I think Covington is a great fit in terms of Rockets ball, for lack of a better word. You know, I mean, Covington is already offensively 60, 70 percent of his shots are threes. Um, Defensively, somebody who can, um, you know, 
be rugged on fours if he has to be, and it's really solid on wings, uh, deflection-oriented. Um, so I think, you know, I, I heard decent things about Langdon, uh, and uh, I know I had some respect for, you know, what Denver had done, in particularly in terms of player development. I thought aside from Billups, they really couldn't go wrong relative to the alternative, which, you know, I mean, Glenn Taylor is paying Scott Layden $2 million for the next two years, and he could have just uh, used this as a shakeout period. But I'm, I'm really glad to see that he, he flipped the keys to the whole thing to Casson, who was, seems to me, like one of the prime movers behind Tibbs leaving. I think this guy is becoming uh, somebody who we have to pay attention to as kind of a owner's right-hand man. Um, somebody who Taylor obviously trusts and who is able to get things done for Taylor that may be against Taylor's instincts. And I think those are really good things because Glenn Taylor has always been willing to pay money if he perceives a winner. Um, and I do think that, uh, you know, he got screwed on Tibbs. You know, I, I tacitly endorsed Tibbs. I wasn't he wasn't my first choice. I think probably Scott Brooks was my first choice among the coaches I knew. But uh, I didn't think it was a bad hire by any means, and I did think Pobo slash head coach was about the only way you could get him. So, which is all to say that um, it certainly could have been worse right off the jump. I mean, even if this guy doesn't pan out, um, I don't think the process or the selection or the resume – relative to the talent, none of that looks bad to me. None of that has typical Timberwolves red flags flying. Uh, and so, you know, you have to be cautiously optimistic and see what happens. Yeah, I think it's with, with the Layden, and I don't, know, I don't remember exactly how you put it, but there's this reason when you just look at the Timberwolves where it's like these next two years are going to be tough, mm-hmm. period. It, or the, the way that they're constructed right now and Ferosa's that not Rosas, but if it was Layden, you could say, let's get through these two years. You kind of dug this hole for us. How are you going to, how are you going to get out of this for us? That's when Gorgie Jang's contracts off the books, as is Jeff Teague's Wiggins is halfway or there's only two years left. And at that point, so, and maybe you run out Saunders for two more years and then you make your, your, your Pobo move. Like I, that would have been kind of the, the Timberwolves It would have been a disaster. It would have been a disaster, but it's not something I ruled out happening right at at the time because you could you heard reports that Layden was getting in good with Taylor right I as know. he should have been I mean that's his you know he's he's a survival instinct guy so I mean <laughs> you know that's the way you, you do that but uh, it would not have been good for the team yeah and now this any new GM Pobo whatever has comes in not responsible for decisions the the past transgressions of of the team so I I think Rosa's and probably why it was intriguing for him to take this job is he essentially gets to start from the ground up he at least has that kind of couple year grace period to say okay we have Jang on the books here still we're gonna I'm assuming gonna go with Ryan for a couple years see where we can where we can get to that point and and his vision his, of the, the goal probably isn't until three, four years down the road. It'll be interesting to see what his contract actually comes mm-hmm. out looking like for how many years he is guaranteed in that way. I would assume it's 
three or four, four at least. At yeah. least. Yeah. And that, while the salary cap that he's inheriting is not attractive, I think for him the job is attractive because you have this grace period, plus you have Cat, who spans that entire grace period, and his Rosas's contract will mirror Cat's in years, not dollars, of course. But I, in just asking around some different people of, you know, how attractive even is this job? Because because me, I think I can I can get caught in the moment, and I can look at. It's going to be pretty hard for them to do anything. They All they have is the mid-level exception and Tyus and Rose and this and that. But when you are able to zoom out, which I think executives do, it is this job is revered as a, a good job. Um, maybe the, those, those red flags of the Timberwolves are, are there, but I think for Rosas, if he feels that I am in full control and I have four or five years to, to lay this out, Kind of the sky's the limit. I have my James Harden. He must must be his belief, and it, to me too, it says something to leave Houston, because he he was going to come up for any job that came up over the next two, three, four years. A forty year old, well respected, you know, around the league, and I think it's similar to what why David Griffin took the Pelicans job. You go, okay, well that doesn't seem that great. You're going to trade Anthony Davis, isn't that? But no, Griffin sees it as I can build whatever I want to build here. Mm-hmm. I have this huge long runway to do what I want to do. And so it makes sense to me why why Rosas would want to accept this job, but I'm interested, and I think what we're going to learn very quickly is what his threshold for patience is with this team. Can, can he wait two years and say, all right, we're just going to kind of lay this out as it is, wait for Jane to come off the books. Maybe then it'll be easier to trade Wiggins. Or... Do you say that doesn't even look that good then? Do we do we need to start making moves now? So I guess Charlie, to you, do you is your assumption that you're going to see immediate aggression out of Rosas here? Or is it kind of the same thing we were talking about before? Well, you know, do the logical type of move. Yeah, I don't have any assumption. I thought it was interesting. I was reading Jace Frederick's piece in the Pioneer Press today. Mm-hmm. And he said something along the lines of Rosas oppressed the people interviewing him with his with his approach to, to long-term sustained success, which was interesting to me. And I don't know how much weight to put into that, but that would seem to suggest a, a measured approach. But I think that your conversation about runway is interesting because while he should have runway with Glenn Taylor and with Ethan Kasson and with the organization because he didn't put them into this hole right now, and while his contract probably will run in similar length to Carl Anthony Towns's, it'll be interesting to know how he views his runway as it relates to building a team around Cat. If Cat mm-hmm. is your Harden, and if this job is relatively attractive because of Carl Anthony Towns, are you going to position yourself to, in three years, in four years, we need to be good, not getting good? And so I think that'll be interesting to monitor. I don't have any expectation with it, but I think how he views Cat and how he views what it's going to take to keep Cat happy will control his decisions. It, I mean, Britt, you look at what Houston has done, and they've been aggressive. Mm-hmm. And again, we're doing the whole guessing thing of attaching him sure. to the decisions of that before, but my gut instinct is that he's is that Rosos is not going to have the patience to wait. Right? Well, I think you can split the difference. Um, 
If you can't do something bold, which would be trade Wiggins, I would guess, is probably the boldest thing he could do, um, and take it in the shorts because that's what it's going to take to get rid of Wiggins, um, then you are boldly preaching patience to some extent, which is not a bad move. Another way to go, though, um, and I keep coming back to this, Timberwolves fans... um, are rightfully uh, immune to this way of thinking because it doesn't happen. But organizations develop their players. And um, Joshua Kogi has got one side of the ball solved. The other side of the ball is a mess. But he's smart and he's, you know, he's teachable. Um, the idea that he can keep that shot and all its wretched mechanics, you know, for his uh, foreseeable future doesn't make sense to me. Um, I would break down one side of his game and big up the other side of his game. You're talking about of, Wiggins? No, I'm talking about Okogie. Okay. All right. Uh, Okogie, I would basically, uh, what I'm saying is there's some, they don't have a lot of raw materials, which is how you, uh, you know, take a, a mediocre team and, mm-hmm. and make them a, a, a playoff contender. Uh, and I, I do think that Towns and Covington are pretty, you know, uh, those are real solid assets. I think that Okogi is a solid asset on one side of the ball, but also extremely young and extremely uh, teachable. Um, I don't know about KBD, uh, Bates Diop, I, I think that the smartest thing about him is his ability to already get what he gets out of his talent. I'm not sure there's a lot of other levels to go there, but I think if there are other levels to go there, this is why you hire somebody uh, from an organization that is a traditional 50-win organization. Some of it, yes. I mean, their salary cap jujitsu is legendary. I mean, what they did to get Chris Paul um, – once they're in a position that they can add a second or third star, it's wonderful to have that kind of expertise if, in fact, he brings that from Houston. Um, Which is something you, you start plotting for years in advance, gathering those type of hinky special type contracts. And, th- that and sort develop of, them. Uh, and Covington, develop them, for yep, example. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so, and Sharch may be that way. That's a, that was the next guy I was going to talk about. I think Okogie and Sharch are the more interesting players because they already have NBA skills. You're not starting from zero and you're not even starting from one or two. Uh, they have, you know, three, four star talents on, you know, some aspects. Uh, you know, Sharch, aside from, I think, his, um, his temper with himself and his self-beratement is... is doesn't have that many weaknesses. He's he's slow and he's not a rim protector, which is kind of unfortunate for somebody his size. But he's got a lot of, you know, he's got a handle, he's got court vision, he's got a three-point shot, uh, he's a banger, he doesn't mind getting dirty. Um, those are all NBA qualities you want in a young guy. And they got to, you know, he's young. Uh, Okogie is young. He's got some, you know, stuff going on. I don't know if you can develop Tyus Jones into, you know, he's another guy like KBD who I think has developed himself really well. But the greater point, I'm rambling on here, but the point I'm trying to make is um, focus one on of the, the jobs, one of the jobs of a good Pobo, and, you know, obviously that wasn't Tibbs, who just refused to develop people. He just went out and got people who were slightly past their peak development at, at peak price. Um, 
<laughs> is you go out and you you find these guys or you develop the guys you have and you turn them into something. What I was getting saying before about uh, fitting a role, some of it is you create the role the guy fits in, and some of it is you create the guy to fit the role. And I'm curious to see what this front office and the people he brings in do in terms of molding an eight- and nine-man rotation. Um, this team has zero three-point shooting from its backcourt. It's the worst three-point shooting backcourt in the NBA by a wide margin. Uh, and the Rockets are the progenitors. They are the, you know, the acme of three-point shooting. So one of the things I want to ask him at his press conference next week is um, to what extent does the philosophy and the talent have to mesh? You know, Brooklyn shot threes forever without any, nobody could hit them for three years, but they wanted to get that culture going. Well, to what extent do we do that here? Um, those are the kinds of things I'm looking at in terms of, you know, the other stuff gets necessarily too general. It's, you know, how will you telescope this out three or four years? Um, I'm sure they have six or seven contingency plans on how to do that, and depending on how people pan out, you know. But again, it's not who thought Pascal Siakam would be him, yeah. you know, a year ago. But I think so that's the— Montrez Harrell. I mean, you need a guy who just boom. But you, you kind of need to have a volume of those guys. Exactly. So that's why—and as I was in kind of—when you think about digging through and putting together a better cap sheet for the Wolves, a better roster construction— is you you have this situation now where the Wolves only have seven players under contract and you're going to have these open roster spots. And it's easy for us to kind of get into this, all right, if we finagle it in this one way, who is the single best player you can get for that $9.2 million you have there? But, and I think what you're describing, Britt, is this other kind of more spread out philosophy, which I would understand of let's get, let's get a handful of guys maybe on multi-year deals for, you know, to bring up Brooklyn again, they did that with Shabazz Napier and they got him for like $2 million for multiple years or Trevion Graham. They did those sort of things. These guys, they believe they could Joe Harris. Exactly. And, 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 and kind of figuring that out, which is again, that is the anti tips, the Tibbs roster construction. What we learned was we're going to maximize, we're going to use the entirety of our cap space on the biggest apples that we can grab and then we're going to fill out the rest of the roster with minimum contracts. The Aaron we're going to make sour cider out of them. <laughs> sure, and <laughs> and that's not that's not necessarily a bad strategy. You look at some of the. It uh, is look, when you have two no, 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 rookie of the year, number one overall. Yes, picks. but that's where I was going. Is my my point is is if you look at the, a lot of the teams who are most in in the playoffs still right now, they did that strategy. But that's because they'd already elevated themselves to a level of they had their core, and then you just need, and then you're just signing your Andrew Bogut's or your Alfonso McKinney's to, to fit it in place. But the Wolves, even though they do have towns and they won 40-some games uh, a year ago, they need to go more Sixers, old uh, process Sixers, where you need to gather up a lot of these assets to be able to develop them because you do not have an easy route to creating flexibility and, and, and landing another star w without doing that. You, you cannot trade Andrew Wiggins or Gorgie Jang or Jeff Teague for the type of player you need to eventually put next to Carl Anthony Towns. So that's kind of what my assumption was. I was thinking about it yesterday is I see, I see Rosa's using 
both of the draft picks and having those be the end of the rotation players rather than maybe trading one of them or, or, or doing something in that sort of vein to, again, just to, to gather up those those type of players. And I think you'll see, rather than a $9 million mid-level exception guy, maybe three guys for $3 million each or, or, or something along those lines. That would be the Houston way. Mm-hmm. But again, what we need to parse is he isn't necessarily Daryl Morey. Like right. a lot, Morey's great, but as anyone in any sort of business, you don't just copy your mentor. Right. You gather the things that you liked about them and impart your own things that that you would, you know, that you see best fit. And that's, I think that's kind of what Ryan Saunders tried to do with Tibbs to some degree. And like, yeah, said, and and kinda. to be fair, I mean, for Ryan, I've done my fair share of ripping Ryan, but uh, the kind of thing I was just talking about, you were just talking about, uh, you know, about asset gathering. He did a bargain basement version of that. Ryan and and yep. Layden with Cam Reynolds, for example, mm-hmm. and with KDB, uh, finding out what Lowell Dang had left yep. uh, turned out to be some some interesting stuff. Um, but getting those kinds of assets uh, and playing guys in different combinations, giving Okogi all those minutes, um, those things were not bad. And some of it was obviously by necessity, and their defense was absolutely wretched, which can't be you know overlooked. But I do think that uh, I kind of agree with you on the multiple assets thing. Um, I do think, of course, you know we're we're all going blindfolded around the big elephant trying to figure out what what the shape is. Uh, but I, I do think that, um, you know, is, is Andrew Wiggins, the big elephant, <laughs> Well, you know, he, he's the tail anyway, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, um, you, you have a situation where this guy is 40 years old and he's not going to want to be like Moray. One of the things I think Moray probably taught him is you have to think outside the box. I'm not exactly sure, for example, when the three-point thing hits its saturation point. And, you know, the Wolves are in a great position to pivot away from the three-point because they don't have any. But uh, I am curious to see what he comes up with. What I said before there was any, uh, you know, even the search began, I want somebody I don't know. I want somebody who... I have that in my notes. We, that, was, that was our conversation every <laughs> single time. I was like, hey, what do you think is going to happen? You go, just have it be someone that I don't know. <laughs> have it be somebody who has an appreciation for the game and a context for the game. I'm a 66-year-old white guy. Happy who, birthday. Uh, when well, you turn 66? Well, I mean, I, I, it'll be in June, but you know, <laughs> I, am our, I call myself that age when the calendar flips. But anyway, <laughs> essentially it boils down to I want somebody who teaches me something about the game that I don't know. Because that means they're also going to be teaching people who know a lot about the game and are strategizing about the game things that perhaps they don't know. Somebody who's cutting edge, somebody who's ahead of the curve. Because you have a generational talent in towns, and the guy has a lot of faults, but uh, figuring out what to do with him on offense should not be a fault. It should be the guy is a matchup nightmare, and if you can't figure out how to make nightmares for the opponent in creative ways, then this is never going to work out. So, you know, uh, anyway, uh, the, the point being that I do think we don't know half a third, an eighth, perhaps, of what's going to unfold here if we're lucky. Mm-hmm. If we can guess half of it, I'm not sure that's a good thing. Hmm. The the thing I want to point out, I 
you know, tweeted this out, or, and it's been in a couple other places as well, but Rosa's background in Houston is not, he wasn't the spreadsheet guy. Mm-hmm. He was the director of their scouting player personnel. He was the guy on the road all the time, uh, traveling internationally yeah. to go. I'm So it's not that he is illiterate as to right. what the... X's and O's, right. Well, I, I, I was going to say illiterate to the analytic element of it. I mean, of right, course right. he understands that, but that's not necessarily his strength or the area that he focused on in Houston, at least. Right. Which is an interesting kind of wrinkle because, you know, everyone's, you know, seeing this happening and they're like, oh, Daryl Morey's right-hand man, the Wolves are going to be like sixth and three-point attempts next year. Yeah. It's like, I don't think the, the right, like the well, translation yeah, well, isn't, it's it, that it's not going to just happen like that one, because as you brought up, they don't have the shooters. Right. You do not have the shooters, particularly in the backcourt, which those are the ones who are much, we've learned with Cat, it's much easier to have the guy dribbling the ball be able to shoot a three than it is for yeah. the five. Well, if you have if you parse out president of basketball operations, he was def- seems to have been more on the operations side, whereas Daryl Morey was more the basketball side. But even if he wasn't the one pushing them to shoot a million threes and and just beat the rest of the NBA via math, he was the one who took that intel or that direction from his higher yeah. ups. At least we can presume, and on some level built a team to accomplish that goal. And so I think it's interesting to look back and see that he had success in doing that and saying we have this vision of shooting more threes, of creating an offense that revolves around James Harden, isolations and pick and rolls, and that's it. And it's, you know, on some level, it's not too dissimilar from what you would assume he'll try to do around Carl Anthony Towns, build an offense that's built around post-ups and isolations. I, and I think with Houston also, it's important to remember the Dwight, Her- Dwight Howard time they they got Howard because he was in that league then was a one of the most dom, dominant points per possession player because then a back to the basket center right and Howard was the best at it was mm-hmm. good there too so he'd crapped out in LA but aside from that didn't have a lot of blemishes yet yeah right. and and it, it worked to some degree I mean they were a, a, I don't know, I guess it didn't work but they weren't ne- necessarily terrible the the the, the thought process and they I, got out of it. They yeah. got out of it, yeah. Which is that's a that's a testament to him too. So I guess just my hope is that he's able, and my assumption is that he's able to recognize that Cat is the Harden, and so you do you shape your roster, you build the characters to fit in around him in in that sort of capacity, and and toe the line of, well, right now Cat was number one in the league in post ups per possession, but the value of those post-ups does not exceed the value of maybe increasing a three-point volume too. So mm-hmm. I think he, my assumption is coming from the Houston tree that he will be cognitive of where the efficiencies of the league are moving, which has been towards shooting more threes. But what we know about the NBA is it evolves and it, and it, and it changes and there might be, there might be adjustments in scheme or rules or what have you that make the style of play that Houston has been playing for the past, you said a saturation point, Britt, right. at some point, and you, you just can't, you can't be a one trick pony and the Rockets weren't. That's my point of bringing that up. And that's, that inspires some faith for me in the fact that the Wolves pony and cat is very different than, than what was going on in Houston. Mm-hmm. I think it's, Britt makes, Britt makes a good point that even if they're not going to shoot a hundred threes, it's encouraging that, 
they seem to have identified somebody with a background in player development. I think that's also why Langdon was a good option because the Brooklyn Nets have such a, a recent history of doing that, of developing players, because whether the Timberwolves shoot 42 threes a game or 28 and whether they, you know, whatever they do, they've proven throughout a long history that they can't go big name hunting like the Rockets can for Dwight Howard and for Chris Paul. So they're going to, on some level, need to develop players. So I think that that background probably is more important than if he was, if it was reported, he's the person who convinced Daryl Morey to, to revolutionize basketball. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably more of a compliment to him that he was their G League coach that won two championships and the Rockets have like a million NBA to G League transactions every right. year and, and, and they're doing things on the fringes to, to make the small differences. Another thing that Tibbs and the Wolves completely missed on it, it's just... I mean, that's something I've been keeping tabs on. I went down to Iowa one time last last season to to cover an Iowa Wolves game and have since you know followed the team cl somewhat closely from mm -hmm. then. And, and then you, you look around the league at these other guys, the Alfonso McKinney's, what have you, Daniel House. Right. And the Wolves have gotten absolutely nothing out of their two-way contracts the past two seasons. And that seems small and, and nominal. But when you're a team as pressed as they are here, and we're talking about needing to have player development – all 15 spots on the roster need to serve a purpose. And then the 16th and 17th spot of the two-man guys, two-way guys, do also. And then the next 12 guys in the G League as well. That, that is how you pull yourself out of a terrible, a terrible cap, sheet, cap sheet situation. So I don't want to dive too far specifically into to that. But I think it was interesting. kind of surprised me, Brett, that you you started talking about Wiggins and then immediately kind of pivoted off to the other players because I think that suggests that it's your assumption that we do see Wiggins, Jang, and Teague all back on this team next year. I do. I think that um, I think you can't wait on developing towns. I think you have to give player development a shot. Um, yeah, the, the by far the bulk of the blame, 80% of the blame for Andrew Wiggins being just a, a terrible uh, dredger of his own talent falls on Andrew Wiggins. But there's a fat 20% that can be spread around uh, to everybody in the Wolves organization that just let this guy get in the wind Every summer, five damn summers. I mean, come on. Um, the guy hasn't gained a pound. Uh, he still gets stripped when he drives the lane uh, and is so scrawny that his strips are so quick that even if it's a foul, it looks like a strip. Um, guys who have strong hands, James Harden is the perfect example of this. Mm -hmm. Guy's incredibly strong. And so... Uh, even if somebody gets all ball, there's a long tension on that attempted strip that makes it look like he's getting fouled. Wiggins is the opposite of that. That's why Wiggins doesn't get whistles. Um, that's just physical development. It's like, Jesus, it's, it's player development 101. And there needs to be player development 101. Wiggins is the, the biggest candidate, you know, uh, there's a healthy percentage of the, you know, people listening and, and in the Wolves fan base who, you know, as soon as you start talking about Wiggins, you know, they're, they're, they're 
their mind goes to the most cynical joke they can think of. And I don't necessarily blame them for that, but I do think that what has to be demonstrated, unless you can find a team that is going to take just a first-round pick and get you back something that's reasonably more compelling next to Towns than what they have, um, you're stuck with them for, for at least a year just to figure it out. And I think that, hey, you're paying them the max. Bring them in. Say this is what you need to do. Yeah. If you don't do it, I'd be shocked if he doesn't want to get his hands on him and, and give up on it before having And not only get tried. his hands on him, but, I mean, messages need to be sent. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I've been writing this now. You know, once I finally soured on Wiggins, and it took me way past the time it should have, um, I just said it's time to start using the stick instead of the carrot on this dude. It was and right after It was right after he missed those overtime free throws against Atlanta. That, that, well, it's just, well, I mean, overall, I had begun, you know, it, anyway, it's it's ancient history, but I am well on the record of being a big defender of Andrew Wiggins' first three years in the league. I was, uh, you know, beguiled by the talent and, um, and thought to myself, okay, maybe he doesn't have that kind of uh, motor that can always turn on, but, mm-hmm. you know, funny, he shows up every game. He's led the NBA in minutes over the last three years. You know, you can't be that guy and, and not have something. Um, but as it turns out, you can't. And so... Uh, now what I'm interested in seeing is a fresh set of eyes and nobody, you know, the first time in his career that somebody isn't tied to Andrew Wiggins' uh, development in terms of their own resume. Um, and so I want, I look forward to, you know, Rosas coming in and saying, you know, do you want 30 minutes or nine or do you want 12? Right. You know? Okay, so Wiggins, and I... I, I don't know, Charlie, I guess, correct me if you're not. I, I'm in that boat, too. I, I don't, I've never been a, on Team Wiggins, but very much under expect and understand the logic of wanting to impart, Rosa's wanting to impart his own philosophy, whether that be weight training, shot selection, all, all those sort of, a, a program for him to improve. I would be, I would be surprised if Andrew Wiggins is, is traded this offseason, if that's one of his first moves. I I would be surprised too. I would have been surprised regardless of whether Rosas was hired as the general manager, just because Wiggins hasn't been moved yet and there's been time to. I I guess has I wouldn't been, how much time has there been though? They could have traded him for Jimmy Butler. I mean there have been chances. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. I uh I meant I guess I was thinking kind of post like the This last is the time years. this is the time though. Like I, we can all be on the same page, but there are other people out there going, Okay, now you have he had the poison pill the first year on his contract. You couldn't you couldn't trade him once he signed the extension. He and then it was basically like the trade deadline this year, and that was yep. kind of early. And somebody's saying this is the opportunity, this is the, the the time to do it. Well, it was early, depending on who you ask. You, yeah. may, maybe Rosas would say, "What are you What are you talking about? He sucked for three years." Yeah. What I think is interesting is I would respect and understand if he wants to you know, impress his own expertise onto Andrew Wiggins and see if he can be the one to make a difference. Mm-hmm. I also, because when Tom Thibodeau was hired, I really didn't, I, I was a proponent of having that year one be an evaluation year. But that was especially because Levine, Wiggins, and Towns were so young. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what they were going to be. But Andrew Wiggins is 25 right now. And there's an argument to be made by Rosas that 
I've seen Andrew Wiggins play a lot of basketball. I think I have a good idea of who Andrew Wiggins is, and I don't want to be a part of it. And if I'm the, what, fourth general manager who gets his hands on Andrew Wiggins Mm -hmm. and he doesn't improve, am I convinced that one less year in his contract is going to make him more tradable, or do I think that his value is going to be even more depressed because of another year of disappointment? And so I guess I'm not as convinced that they'll hang on to him. I I, I would still be surprised... Because but I there would could push be s- back on the idea that that's like out of the question. Out of the question. Yeah. So there's the he wants to get his hands on him, you know, thought process that I th- I think makes sense. But there could be another GM out there too who's like, for nickels and dimes, I want to get my hands on him too mm-hmm. as well. Like as much as as Rosas does. We can so, only pray. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but I I do think there has to be this thing where he in his assessment of it he has to go. Do I like Andrew Wiggins more than everyone else around the league does? Yes. And then the answer to that's probably no. And then he goes, okay, so there's somebody else out there who likes him more, but how much am I willing to attach, you know, to make that happen? I, I, I think it will be, I think that will be a conversation. I think it will be the shortest conversation they have when we talk about the owner's contracts on the books. There's also Gorgie Jang and there's Jeff Teague, who Britt. You're saying your assumption is they will both be back, and I I understand that to some degree too, particularly with Jang, the given the multiple years of it and and how kind of de- much he depressed his his value this season, but Jeff Teague, for me presents an interesting opportunity to make a trade. Granted, I have no idea what his market is, but there's a world out there where I can be enticed and I think Garrison Rosas can be enticed to say it's it's time to move on there there is a price to pay to be able to completely jump dump Jeff Teague if they do that is that is a way to get multiple pieces back via free agency this summer if they can just dump Jeff Teague which is hard maybe that costs you a first round pick and you delete that 19 million dollars they're down to, I have it in my notes here somewhere, they're down to 90 million. So now you have 19 million in cap space. But how many teams can eat that 19? Utah Jazz can. A lot of teams have cap space this summer, right? I, it's, there's a lot of dumb teams out there. That's all I'm saying. And there might be <laughs> some team who's like, hey, a, a starter caliber point guard, we missed out on a couple of the bigger guys out there. We need to fill up the rest of our space. We'll take on Jeff T because he'll help our team this year because he would he would help a lot of teams. So I'm just saying, if you can do that, and I don't know if you can do that, but if you can, and if it doesn't cost a first round pick, you can do that and and create 11 million dollars in cap space after you fill out the rest of the roster. It could be 11 million dollars of cap space, and with that you can go get a player there, and you can also use the mid level exception, and you can bring back Tyus Jones and or Derrick Rose with bird rights. That is, that makes sense to me. I don't, I, I think, Jeff Teague is like Scott Layden to me. He's, he's married to the previous regime. I don't know if he totally stinks at his job, but I don't want him around. I, I think, and if you can finagle a financial situation without giving up too many assets, it could be worth it. If you can use that $11 million and get Trevor Ariza, and then if you can use the mid-level exception, and you can either do the break it up into three players, three Shabazz Napier caliber guys. That's interesting. Or if you can go out and get Kelly Oubre, something like, like 
I don't know, don't know what all their market values are, but I think that's a serious conversation that Rosas has to have. Wiggins, Jang, fine, I get it. They're too hard to trade. They'll probably cost too much money. Maybe you want to work on Wiggins. But Jeff Teague's 31, and it's just one year. And I think you got to bite the bullet and, and move on because you do have the unique situation with their cap sheet that the players that you can bring back with bird rights are point guards. And I know, Britt, you're lower than me on Tyus, and we talked about that extensively. And, and definitely lower than you probably on Rose at the point. Yeah, I guess my sort of th- thinking is maybe it's the he both of them. He kind of plays the point off the bench anyway, I guess. I, I, I give you credit for being tenacious about this. You definitely have been trying to figure out how to get rid of Jeff Teague for months now. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying that you're wrong. I think it's a defensible position. I just, on balance, it wouldn't be in my priorities. Um, I think... The best way to get value out of Jeff Teague is to convince him that he's at a point in his career where he can be a great mentor for whoever you draft, provided you can get a good point guard in the draft. Now, that's a tall order because they are picking at the moment with 10th, and unless they move up, or unless, uh, you know, again, we're back to draft talk. You know, I'm just Kobe White, somebody said, is uh, somebody who might be sure. there at the 10th pick. And for all I know, there may be, you know, for every time, you know, there's a Donovan Mitchell or a second rounder, you know, the, these guys that get floated. Uh, and it could be. And, and if this, if the new Pobo is somebody who can um, find, you know, pan for gold and a point guard for the draft, uh, then I'm fine with Jeff Teague uh, wasting $19 million or at least, you know, about $12 million of it uh, <laughs> being uh, a, 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 a typical maddening Jeff Teague player but a decent mentor. Yeah, I, I don't think Teague stinks either. Like, no, he doesn't. I He's might actually, actually even be higher on the player of Jeff Teague than, than you are. Well, I mean, I just don't think he fits. It isn't that yeah. he stinks. He doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean— Tom Thibodeau made this big deal about high pick and rolls between, you know, Teague and Cat. And I will say that the numbers bear that out. I mean, Jeff Teague and Carl and Anthony Towns are not a bad pick and roll combination to some extent. Just don't but do it, it much. It doesn't happen very often, right? And when it does, it's in Jeff Teague's timetable. And it is not a punishing offensive weapon. It is a meandering offensive weapon that prohibits player movement off the ball. But that's the baseline of a Carl Anthony Towns pick and roll. If Carl Anthony Towns is involved in any pick and roll, as we learned with Andrew Wiggins, right. who isn't great at that, right. it's, it's going to be a good product, period. Right. No, I get, Ish Smith. I get that. I get that. So, yeah, I, actually, Ish Smith is a guy I would definitely <laughs> think of. Uh, as somebody, you know, you get for two or three million dollars, provided he is not worth more, and he might be. Um, but unfortunately, Ish Smith is maybe better than Tyus Jones. I mean, one of the problems with the Re-agent. pick and roll with Tyus Jones is a guy can't shoot. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got to get that floater in more often, and and it did get better as he went along. But player uh, development, player development, definitely. Again, though, I mean, this is where Tyus is. High IQ hurts him, in my view, because I think Tyus has already developed himself really pretty well relative to his skill set. Uh, you know, he's got and great... And I would say int- no thanks to the coaching staff. 
Well, it's hard to say. Yes, I would agree with that to some extent. Uh, you know, every regime, you know. Um, Who are the three most disappointing shooters on the Timberwolves this year? Most Dis- disappointing shooters? Disappointing shooters. Teague. Wiggins. Wiggins. Tyus. Tyus is every year, though. He's, he's never Tyus been a good ha- Tyus had a bad... How do you guys not put Josh Okogie in that bin? I didn't because expect Okogie him. Oh, okay, okay. No, no sample size. Worst. Oh. I'm saying worst. Shoes. Okay. Not, but he wasn't disappointing because it was very yeah. clear from the beginning he couldn't shoot. Uh, so I never had that on my bucket list of Josh Okogie somehow managing to uh, score. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that... Uh, my o- point is, my point is, is that Keita Bates-Diop was a disappointing shooter. Yep. Josh Okogie was a bad or disappointing shooter. And so was Tyus Jones. And those all three players had the same individual co- coach. I don't even want to say his name because I don't want to be roasting him publicly. But there, there was a something that happened with Tibbs was that they did not... Players were not developed, and there was not a focus on, on working on the specifics. And I've, I've sat there at warm-ups for 40 games a season and watched those guys, uh, th- those three specifically, attempt jump shots with inconsistent mechanics from places that they shouldn't be taking them from and, and not working on anything new. I watch that every single game. And that is my hope for a Kogi and Bates Diop and Tyus, that they need a coach who is saying, these are the, you guys are role players. And the big part of your role is going to be able to be able to make the shot specific shots. And they didn't do that. And so I'm saying that specifically to Tyus because it's, it's a little bit different of a thing. And I, I am admittedly a bit of a Tyus truther, but he has not been, I don't think he's ever received the guidance as to, as to what he should be, should be. And he's just done it on his own. uh, KDB, KBD and Tyus both are smart enough. I mean, look at what they're kids though. Bates, they're 22. uh, Bates, they remember like his, in preseason and his first four or five games as a Timberwolf, jack and threes, jack and threes, clank, 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 sits next to Lil Deng for a while, watches Lil Deng for a while, and the next thing you know, what do you know? You know, KBD yeah. is cutting mm-hmm. off the ball and getting the ball, perfect timing on his cuts. Um, Tyus Jones um, totally got screwed up by Tibbs in my view. Now, this is a theory I pulled out of my own rear end. I have no idea whether it's factual but I do notice that in the preseason, Tyus was shooting all the time, far more frequently than he ever had before. Yep. And I do know that Tom Thibodeau loves creative shot-first point guards, creative in the sense of Nate getting Robinson, their own points. Robinson, all yeah. those sort of yeah, guys. Yeah, Derek Rose, Eric, Nate Robinson, you name it, you know. Uh, and so I think Tyus thought, I'm a restricted free agent. I better get some minutes. How am I going to get some minutes? <laughs> I have to prove to this guy that I can score. Mm-hmm. Um, and it screwed him up. It bared out in the numbers, too. He was attempting a bunch of field goals, wasn't making them. And they were awful. Mm-hmm. And so that's not his game. Uh, I hope that Tyus is you know, getting up shots all the time and working on his, his body, the two things I would you know, suggest to Tyus. But... Um, my point is, though, those two guys, I think, are smart enough to figure it out. Okogi is not smart enough to figure it out because he thinks he shoots well now. 
So that means he does not know his game. Um, but at the same time, he is somebody who learns, and when you ask him things about the finer points of basketball, he's remarkably erudite. And so I think that there's a potential there to break down his mechanics and do no, something, I, so what, do you, what you're saying. And if you get that, see, I mean, again, it gets us back to the whole point we were going through before, which is who can take the leap? Who can, you know, then there's probably no Siakams or Harolds on this team, but somebody who you think they're going to go from two to four and they go from two to seven. Mm -hmm. That's what's going to get this team into the playoffs next year. They probably don't have a Siakam, but if they do, it's Okogi. If they do have a dart that could become a borderline all-star outside of Towns, it's probably Okogi, if not Saric. Yeah, one of those two guys yeah. would be the two I'd mention. And Saric, for me, just maybe it's maybe a role thing. I do, I mean, it is to laugh at. I mean, you know, the cynic in me and in many other Timberwolves fans couldn't help but notice how well... You know, look at the three guys from Philly when they first stepped on the court without any other thing, you know. The first 10 games of Covington, the first 10 games of Scharch, and then when Bayless finally got healthy, his first 10 games, they all played lights out. Mm -hmm. and, you know, Why? Because they were came from a system that knew how to play basketball. Oh, <laughs> no, that's where you're going with that. The point guard situation is so interesting, and it's going to be fascinating to follow this summer because it would seem like dominoes are going to fall on top of each other if a point guard that they like, you know, assuming they get like the 10th pick in the draft, if they get a point guard that they like, then that's going to impact how they approach Tyus Jones and restricted free agency, which is going to impact how they think about a potential Jeff Teague trade, which is going to impact how they think about Derrick Rose coming back in that same role. But I think that the bottom line is that you have these three point guards that are all serviceable serviceable players, but none of them are the right fit for Carl Anthony Towns. And so if you're going to hold on to one of them, it makes more sense to do it on a shorter term. And so maybe Jeff Teague is that person, even though it's $19 million, it's one year. And then you can start over fresh because I don't think any of those three guys are the right fit to run a pick and roll with Cat, to, to defend the point of attack in front of Cat, mm -hmm. et cetera. Right, and 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 that's, that's I think that's I think that's well said, and I think that you know we're pushing back on you with, with your theory. I don't think it's a bad theory. We've talked about this many times, obviously. Uh, you know, yeah. when there aren't microphones in front of us, but <laughs> one of the things that uh, I found intriguing when we were kicking stuff around, if you can get me Corey Joseph on the mid level, working the Jeff Teague deal, yeah. then you have my attention. Well, that okay. Because I'm going to continue to be tenacious. <laughs> good. I, I I think it's a good conversation. I want to just, I want to walk through it. Okay. If you're able to get off of Jeff Teague, a dump, to the Utah Jazz, and you attach two second-round picks, let's say. You, and you, atta you attach a future first. There you go. That's bigger. You're down to $90 million. After that, you also have your first-round pick. If that's the 10th pick, that's three and a half. So this is a, a pick that they're trading in a couple years, not yes. this year's pick. Which, would you say that's fair value for jumping, dumping Jeff Teague? I guess I don't know. I don't know. I don't know I either. think there's a team. I, th I think Jeff Teague's a good player when he's healthy. And so yeah. I think there is a team out there who could go, hey, one year of Jeff Teague is expensive, but we're yeah. willing to pay it. I actually think it's less than that. I don't know. But I, I don't know. Some X amount of assets you've traded to, to get off of Jeff Teague to create flexibility. This is what your flexibility is. You go down to 90, you add your first round pick, that's three and a half million if that's the 10th pick. 
Now you're up to now you're up to 94. So you're 15 below the cap. All right, you have to fill out the rest of the roster. You're the minimum cap holds. You're down to 11. What do you get with the the 11 million dollars? You can at least get Corey Joseph with that, and then you have the mid level exception. That's what I'm saying. Is there's like, or if you really want to tap into the listeners, you know what might be able to no. you might be able to get for 11 million dollars? No, no, no. I won't even say it. Ricky, <laughs> I, I I just you can. I, I don't think Ricky no, is no, okay. 11. Well, less six. Sure. Okay. So what I'm saying, what you by doing this dump, you have 11 million in cap space, plus you have a nine million dollar mid-level exception. You can do some interesting things with that. You can't get a 20 million dollar player, but you can you can be begin to get creative, and it doesn't need to be a point guard to replace right. him with, as you would because you don't want Tyus to start. I would. I don't mind Tyus starting next year if you're able to get him for 420, 425, something like that. You, you go with that, and you still have your 11 and 9. And then you can go out and you can go get – it can be your Corey Joseph. It can be Trevor Ariza. And then you move Wiggins to the bench like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there is – there's if a roster can do that. My grander plan, if it was me, what I would want to do with the Timberwolves, and this is probably way too simplistic, but that's sometimes the way you have to think when you're talking about dream scenarios because – why waste a lot of time on the details on something that mm. isn't going to happen anyway? <laughs> but I would like to see a dynamic point guard, somebody who is really good, whether it's coming out of the draft with you, you know, Jamarant is everything he's, everybody's. Yeah, which they can move up in the draft. Or whatever. Or, you know, somebody, uh, Sadoransky, if he's available, if he, in fact, can take that next step, or, you know, I, Kemba attainable Walker, for the 11, yeah, not I, attainable. I, I, exactly, yeah. exactly. But the point I'm making is... That's important with Cat, and that was to Charlie's point, is you need A great guy. point guard or a creative, uh, synergistic point guard who is electric and can create spacing with Cat and synergy with Cat, and then you surround him with Covington, Okogie, and another good defender, maybe you charge, maybe it's somebody else, but you have good defenders... And dynamic scores. Who does that remind you of? The Houston Rockets. Yeah. You know, in its own way. And so that would be great with me. I would, you know, Okogie, Covington, those guys, I look forward. I, I I really do. I sincerely hope Andrew Wiggins is not starting next year because I love the idea of, of Okogie, Covington minutes together. I so do think they, they can create... <laughs> disruption that creates transition and Covington is one of those guys that is the master he knows how to play he's the master of trailing the break and hitting that off the break three I haven't looked at the numbers but I got to think the Wolves were last in the NBA if they weren't they were pretty close they very rarely finished off a fast break opportunity with an above the break three Mm -hmm. and every team you look at the playoffs I mean they're they're if they're not hitting above the break three, they got two guys running to the corners. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if if you decide you don't want to finish or you get almost all the way to the rim and wait for them to get to the corners, and then you that's that's a that's a bread and butter NBA play that Timberwolves fans would be shocked to see happen, you know, in this market. So I I had this thought, epiphany, in watching the the Damian Lillard it's the game game five of the first round. Yeah. And if you remember before that, that, that game, I love that series. That series was just an absolute battle. It was a great series. And, and this new one is, too. The Denver-Portland yeah. series, love it. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I was, I was, I was watching that happen, that game happen. I was thinking about, man, Josh Okogie and Robert Covington would be very translatable to, they're they're playoff type yeah, wing the defenders. Harkless, uh, Aminu guys. And right. and exactly. So and my the epiphany happened when it was right at the end of the game. People might remember this when Mo Harkless. It was just a scrum underneath the hoop, and it's like Harkless, Paul George, Westbrook, handful of guys, and and Harkless just rips down that rebound. And it, it was it was I mean it was a they it was Okogie esque. It was a Kogi esque, sure. But where my head went with it was I go, what does Andrew Wiggins do in that scrum? And I'm, I'm like, I know that's that's funny, and it kind of sounds like a joke because we know what the answer is. Yeah, it's he falls down and he doesn't he doesn't get it. And no, I think he watches. Exactly, he doesn't start getting back though, and he doesn't <laughs> go into a three point territory in case the guy does come up with the ball. He watches. My thing is. Even if he's a six man, whatever, is he in in the, the end of game situation? Is he in in the playoffs next year if the Wolves are there in in that two seven matchup next season or what in the future? Like, I don't think Andrew Wiggins can play playoff basketball at that that like that type of series. He would be squashed. But and 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 Josh Okogie and Robert Covington wouldn't. And every minute that Andrew Wiggins is there and is playing is a minute that those two aren't. But. There can be 15, 18 minutes where mm-hmm. Andrew Wiggins is, Turner? is, well, hopefully not. I mean, but I, I think uh, is Derrick Rose on this team last yeah, year. Right. I mean, I do think that Andrew Wiggins can get his own shot provided he gets stronger in his hands because mm-hmm. turnovers are yeah. an issue. But I do think that if you're asking the guy to be a volume scorer uh, against second-level competition— I think Andrew Williams can be Andrew Wiggins can be a valuable uh, mm-hmm. man off the bench, maybe a sixth, seventh, yeah. eighth man, and I think even in the playoffs that translates. Um, it's just you have to see. I would love to have it be an anticipatory thing. Will Wiggins be on tonight off the bench, mm-hmm. rather than will Wiggins shoot a fadeaway long two or a three as the game's right. first two plays? Mm-hmm. I mean. That's the kind of thing that makes you want to shoot yourself in the head watching the Timberwolves, for God's sake. <laughs> I, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I do think that the Okogi covington wing combination, if that's going to be your your two and your three, quote-unquote. Which has its problems. Which has its uh, problems. Yeah, it does. Be- because Handle being one of them. Exactly, because if that's going to be your wing combination and then maybe your point guard's Tyus Jones you've got no shot creation. And so then you do need a wing. Who, slide Covington up to the floor, dribble. man. That's what ah, I'm saying. I know we've been talking about that. But that's, that's you know, you that's see. Houston Rockets, baby. Yeah, maybe the Houston Rockets when the Houston Rockets have P.J. Tucker at the floor. I mean, give <laughs> well, what's, me a break. Robert Covington, what's the Robert Covington is not P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker is a big boy. But Tucker plays play, the five. Yeah, Tucker's playing the I'm five. talking about the four. Covington can reasonably play the four a lot. What about Capella? You know, you're talking about the Rockets team without Capella, with Capella on the bench. Yeah, that's not a great team. <laughs> well, that's the best team they have in this series right now. That's a separate conversation. Robert Covington, my I opinion, don't think Robert Covington is a great four? four, not with Towns on the court, unless you're trying Ooh. to outscore the opposition. I like wing Covington because what Covington can do. I, I'm not saying uh, exclusive. I'm not saying he is the the, the starting four. I'm right. saying that's something. That you do, you just do. That's what the Wolves did with Butler sliding, or they went small ball with Butler in the playoffs against the Rockets. That it's eight, ten minutes a game. Of I really hope. I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, <laughs> this, we're at this point, but I, I, 
I reveled, as you know, as you sat next to me in, in the 200 minutes of Lowell Dang magic this year. And I, I look forward to signing that dude to a veteran's minimum and having uh, Rosas understand that here is a guy, you know, we, yeah, we have to build for the future. But if this guy, he's already led by example, three or four of the young Timberwolves have already said, you know, I watched Lou, you know, he mm-hmm. knows what he's doing. It was very disappointing to me that once he had proven himself, he decided it was time to go back into, uh, you know, having fun and uh, being a 35-year-old old man again. But uh, if we can get... We sure relative. that's what happened? I know, I, we talked about it. And I, Achilles, I I you know, I mean... Achilles, I heard, that's my hesitation. I heard from people that, you know, he, there may be an injury there. But as I somebody... I also saw him running around. <laughs> as somebody who praised him to high heaven, and I thought rightfully so, and gave him all his props and said, this guy's just been waiting for the opportunity... Well, it sounded like he was also waiting for the opportunity to disappear again after he got his shot and proven himself. And, you know, as a a longtime veteran who has been injured and dinged up and everything and is on a one-year deal— it not isn't necessarily a bad strategy, but mm-hmm. it's left a bad taste in my mouth, and I, I I look forward to Lowell Deng on the court rather than Lowell Deng being assistant coach next year, <laughs> and I do think it would be worth two million bucks to see it. Right. And if that happens, then now you, you put Lowell Deng at your four and Covington at your three, and you can switch. <laughs> I mean, the thing about Deng and Tolliver, they were switching pros last year. That's great. You know, and and I think Covington will just be all that much better. And that's when I'll take Covington at the four. When he switches on to a four and he's only got about three seconds to guard him. I do not want Covington being posted up because I think what Covington will do, he's smart enough to know I'm going to get roasted here. Mm-hmm. He will go for the steal. He'll commit the foul. It, things will get ugly. Uh, I want to see Covington be his disruptive self. And, and one of the ways that can happen is if he is switching with a smart four, and, you know, and I think that that can happen if Lou Deng is there. And that, I mean, that's been the Houston Rock. It's also hard to have any idea how much of the Houston coaching strategy, you know, that Rosas is going to want to imprint on this new Timberwolves team. But, I mean, that's very, that's a very defining characteristic of what the, what the Houston squad is. And, again, also as I watch these playoffs, I go, man, why are teams messing around Dropping pick and rolls the whole regular season, like what? But Milwaukee Bucks, like cool. You won. You the, you're the number one team in defensive rating during the regular season, but the way you defended in game one, pff, right? right? Like, and and uh, that's a one of my big tangents. Well, with, Philly with too Cap. in game one though. Yeah. Who um, who? What's the team like? Am I missing something of like a team who's found a ton of playoff success recently? That drops the big? No. All the time? It was the, the the success, it was becoming an antiquated strategy trademarked by Tom Thibodeau. Mm-hmm. It, and it had a resurgence this season because the Bucks had such great regular season success with it. And they were good at it. And I think that, that it's not something to, to completely not do, but if it's the main stay of your defensive diet, it, you establish habits, I think. Well, two and things about that, I would say. Sorry to interrupt you. No, um, Giannis is fast enough. To do both. You know, Giannis yeah. can retreat on the pick and roll and still contest the rim really well. Yeah. Uh, and I think that they were a space and pace team and they had that mindset, so they were into that. 
Uh, and they were a great defensive team. Secondly, Al Horford is is yeah. the kryptonite for Giannis right. on that way of playing mm-hmm. because on both he's ends. so smart and and he can hit the three. You know, hat tip Budenholzer. You yeah. know, who created that monster who's now beating him. <laughs> right. uh, you know, and so again, I I agree with you that uh, rapid switching and aggressive defense. But also, um, just some of it has to be that that you know what you're doing, and yeah, you know execution. I, and and b- both Philly and Milwaukee. I hate to pull the experience card; it's a weird card to pull. But you know, most of those guys from the the Bucks and Sixers hadn't really gone into a series either as favorites or as a team that had already gone through right. the first round, and now we're in the second round. And some big big stakes. And so I think it took them a while. Yeah. They both were against teams, you know, Toronto and uh, Boston are both, you know, pretty seasoned teams. So it took them a while. But it's fun. You know, it's fun to watch. Can we, are you comfortable talking about your all-NBA ballot? Sure. I didn't, I didn't, they never asked me. Oh, really? Yeah. I never oh. voted. Did anyone around here get to do it? I don't know. But I nobody that. My, yeah. I thought you were doing it. I thought I was too, but was I said I'm, you, 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 heard, you were that next to me when uh, Aaron, uh, what's his name, came up yeah. to me and uh, said, hey, you know, you want to do the NBA bell? And I said, sure, I don't care. And uh, huh. Well, that was going to be my whole, like, is... The f- grand somehow finale? We, well, we haven't... Oh. Would you have put Cat on there? That was going to be my question, because that you would know, have been I went back and of the forth vote. on that. There wasn't a wrong answer. Um... I think the fact that I didn't want to be a homer probably would have tipped me to Gobert. Mm. Uh, just because I just don't, I think it's it's just bad for It was a tie goes to the runner. And I'm a defensive guy, and Gobert obviously has that. But whenever I thought about it, and I thought, you know, you're going to be the guy that, you know, takes $32 million out of, out of Cat's pocket. You know, how's that going to, you know, how's that, how's your life going to, go moving forward on that, uh, which is why it came down to me from like six other guys who didn't want to do it. But then I thought to myself, your self-image is of somebody who would do that anyway. So if you really think that's what should happen, you should do it. So, But that was the thought process I was going back and forth on is, you know, and after a while, I just finally said, you can't let the money and what Cat would get paid in affect you. Mm-hmm. And so I'd make a case for Towns, Really good case can be made for Towns. I made a case for Gobert. Really good case could be made for Gobert. I thought Embiid and Jokic were the two best centers, so it was going to be a third-team All-NBA selection. And I can say this now, but I do not say it with certainty. I probably would have gone Gobert. Mm. Which is, and if uh, we've talked about this on the podcast before too, and I'm assuming people know what this means, it's if Cat does land on an all-NBA team this season. He gets he, a lot of money. He, his contract increases from five years 158 to five years 190. And obviously that's a that makes a big difference for him personally, but also for the Timberwolves and Yeah, Arizona I didn't look Rosas. at it from the Timberwolves. I mean, Glenn Taylor could afford no. it. No, no, no. I'm talking about it from a yeah, roster, no, construction. roster construction. For right, example, right. relevant yeah, is my whole Jeff Teague Right. Tenacity goes gets to, all that be- much better though. No, it gets worse. The numbers I were oh, was you mean using for you that, were using for the eleven not making it. Yeah, I was uh, using that to, okay, to make myself okay. you know sound better. Uh, I see. <laughs> uh, but well, I don't know. I mean, it, 
I still am here today, and my 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 vote and opinion is that it should be cat. Though, and I, and you can make a really good case for that. I it, mean, the guy was a monster on offense. I and I, without going too far into it, I I just think that where we are in the NBA, and it's just so for cat to be. The be- even the, we want to call him the third best offensive center, which he has a strong argument to be made that he's the best offensive center. Right, but even I think if he, he is wants the best offensive center, but even if we call but him I the think third, Gobert is the best defensive center. I know, and, and I, I don't think opportunity Kat is, is, is 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 Cat the third offensive player. Mm-hmm. No, the third offensive best offensive player is he better than Durant? No, 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 no. I'm uh, talking Harden. about just center. No, I know oh. you're talking about just center. You're right. saying the best is Gobert in the third. Is he one of the you top? You think Gobert is the best defensive player in the NBA? I think he's in the top three or four. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Okay. I get what you're saying. And yeah. so, if they're if you value both sides of the ball, and one guy makes the playoffs, mm-hmm. you know, obviously with greater health. But why? You know, what was their calling card? Mm-hmm. Everybody saw what Utah's offense was like in that playoffs. Yeah. You know, and so you had a situation where I was not going to vote for one of the top five defensive players. In the, the game, yeah. as somebody who I believe needs to keep emphasizing defense because it's so easily forgotten. Uh, so that was my case. Yeah. Um, I again, I, I, I do want to repeat, there was probably a 20 to 40% chance, and it could have happened. I could have very easily said at the end of the day, all right, you know, guns to your head, here's your ballot. And <laughs> gone, you know what? Cat yeah. was incredible, and, you know... Uh, it's it's a justifiable vote, and I admit that vote. But who knows? You know, I never had to do it. So, <laughs> um, with I think the the narrative kind of changed. If you go back like a, a month or I don't maybe month and a half ago, I was feeling not just my opinion. What I thought was going to happen was that it was going to be cat, and now it's kind of funny. Um, you know, talking to other people or even just you know friends or people who follow the league, they'll go, oh, no, no, now it's going to be Gobert. I think it's going to be Cat. Well, I, I know you don't listen to the Low Post podcast. but Or any podcast. No, but but I honestly think the, the perception... Except for this one, right? Yeah. No. <laughs> the, uh, I'll talk, no listen. <laughs> the perception changed. The perception changed of league followers and, and wonks of the NBA once both Zach Lowe and Tim Bontemps, both of who have votes... And Zach is like he puts a lot into voting for those those he's awards. He's the smartest NBA writer, and, and he's the smartest. And he's and he had Gobert and moved to a point where him and Bontemps both did. And I think that changed the narrative ah. amongst people. And I think that will affect other people's votes because I think if you if you pull the hundred people who vote for it, now that you're out of it, I think almost every <laughs> almost every one of them listen to that. And and you know if it's if it's some beat writer who's for the Hornets, right? You know who's watched, offense, right? You know you go. Well, Zach Lowe's the smartest guy there is, right? I'm just going to do it. He it does. might be influential, right? I, I honestly think that that and that be that Zach is so public with it, and it, he's so clearly put in his thought to it that that is part of the reason that Carl Anthony Towns will not get it, and that it will be Rudy Gobert, and will cost Cat thirty two million dollars, and will create six million dollars a year in cap space for the Wolves. For the next five years, I really, I really think that that will be an, an influential thing, which is is a fascinating wrinkle from the Timberwolves' perspective because this difficult cap situation does not go away. 
On the other hand, it also means that Cat says, if I was on a winning franchise, I would have gotten that damn third team. <laughs> well, now you got you know, and then you begin negative. to say, do I really want to hang around here? <laughs> you know, so it, it is that kind of a, a, a weird dynamic. But I was sure that Gobert would make the All Star game. Yeah, and he did not. So I've gone the other way now. Fool Different me people once. voting for that, though. Yeah, I know, but it, it's still you know, fool me once. I, I think that it's still offense still gets the ink and still gets the glory and Cat had a glorious yeah. offensive season. And so my prediction is, such as it is, that he makes it over Gobert. My own feelings on it, irregardless. Again, and that we'll find that out here, I think, in the next few weeks that'll be reported. And and that No, that's not till like the middle of June, right? That's when they're announced. Oh. But the reporting like it'll come out. It'll yeah. come out earlier than that, I'm sure. When were those votes due? Before the before the playoffs. The even Friday. Started. It was the season ended on Wednesday. They were due on Friday and the first playoff game was Saturday. It really is a toss up. It well, is who would you vote? I think I wrote about the All Star game. I remember yeah. before and it it was the same thing. It came down to should Cat or Gobert be an All Star, and I, tr- you know, I tried to come up with like some sort of rubric to have a system where I was weighing a bunch of different factors, whether it's their counting stats, their advanced metrics, how good their team is, how good their team is when they play, which are all in some way, some ways, flawed measures on their own. But you know, put together, you could. Well, it's what we have. You did not watch Rudy Gobert play 82 games. No, no. Nor did anybody voting on him. Like, you you have to do that to some extent. And I I ended up giving the tie to Cat because at that point, I thought that he he just had been better. But even though Cat took off after the All-Star break, so did Rudy Gobert. And so I I, I was thinking about this while you guys were talking about how I wrote that piece, and I ended up giving Cat my worthless nod. And since then, Cat, you know, Cat took off. So, you know, how could I say Rudy Gobert? But I think Rudy Gobert took off as well on both sides of the floor. His defense got better throughout the year. His offense got a lot better throughout the year. And the Jazz got probably more than anything because of the way their schedule worked out. The Jazz got a lot better throughout the year. So mm-hmm. the Jazz went from this team that was underperforming. They were the ninth seed to this team that jumped up. They were the sixth seed. They were the team everyone was supposed to be because, in, in large part, because Rudy Gobert played so well for the second half of the season. But to answer your question, I think I would give Cat the slight nod. I just because I think Cat probably is about the fifth best offensive player in the NBA. Mm, wow. That's interesting. Um, okay, Cat. Here, <laughs> here yeah, we go. Somewhere between five and seven or eight. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I think in for sure in an optimized system. So here's here's Cat. Um, his his run right there. Yep. Was 30, 30 points per game, fourteen rebounds, four assists, fifty one percent three point shooting, sixty nine percent true shooting. How many games is that on a thirty nineteen games huh. on a thirty one percent usage rate? And I think defensive rating. No, no, <laughs> I don't have that. The defense there. got okay. worse. I'm po- but I'm highlighting maybe one twenty. I'm 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 highlighting the <laughs> stats. I'm you're right. It is, but. The thing, the thing is, it then the voters' minds, they're going to look at that. That's they're incredible. Look at that. Yeah, that's it's incredible. In, and it's incredible. I think that the surplus value of a center on the offensive side of the floor is probably better. I don't 
this isn't my original thought. I've heard this elsewhere. But the difference between Cat and an average offensive center compared to the difference between the best offensive shooting guard and a median offensive shooting guard is so massive that having a center who can do those things gives you this unique or unusual leg up that other teams don't have. And that's why no matter what they do, the Wolves are the 10th best offense in the NBA. Which is a, an interesting thing with Rosas. You know, mm-hmm. and it's coming from this offensive system and not to totally spiral back there, but that's like the baseline. That's the baseline. You get a top 10 offense no matter what going for the next five years or until you trade cat. <laughs> and and that's there's just there's a ton of value in that from an all NBA voting standpoint and a ton of value. And I, I'm sure Rosas recognizes that. OK, I, but. What I don't want to see if we're trading 10th for 24th at the other end, yeah. give me 12th and 10th. Oh, yeah. But it's it's true. It's a kind of a cliche that, you know, you have to do some resting on one side of the ball. LeBron had kind of proved that the last few years. Now, he's obviously past his prime, so, you know, in terms of age, and Cat's still young. But if Cat needs to sacrifice a little... yeah. Uh, to to play really good defense, I'm totally on board. And and that you know I, I didn't get into it because I already wasn't going to vote for Cat according to my you know tortured analysis before. <laughs> but the guy was a part of a one of the ugliest defensive displays that any NBA watcher has ever experienced. Um, the Ryan Saunders era on defense was a horror show. And uh, some of that, sure, was injuries, but, you know, and Covington is the charm of their defense and the barometer, I think, at both ends of the court for the Wolves. And I give, you know, full weight to that. And and Cat always has played better when he's had smart people telling him what to do. He's admitted as much, you know, when I asked him about Garnett and Covington. Um, if people give him the confidence to make the mistakes, he makes fewer mistakes, Right. And um, so it may be that Cat is obviously better, and I think he is better than what he showed in the last 20 games. But, Jesus, that defensive rating, to say that somebody's all-NBA, it's like saying somebody's all-NBA when they have a true hmm. shooting percentage of 48. You know, I mean, you know, you just say, is this guy all... He's all-NBA, but his defensive rating is I, 119. Again, I, I'm acknowledging... I acknowledge that, and that's uh, the the reason though I was close for me. But yeah. I, I would I still would pick Cat, but I and don't know if the voters. Right. I don't know if the voters. Well, in addition, you mentioned Zach Lowe, but it gets even more uh, lowest common denominator than that because Zach Lowe to me is highest common denominator. But <laughs> Kenny and Charles yeah. would constantly say, "Oh, meaningless stats," mm-hmm. you know, and so. Uh, and and you know and Shaq don't ever leave out Shaq when it comes to lowest common denominator, but essentially, you know this whole idea of uh, meaningless stats, um, I thought was, you know, I've ripped Towns plenty. I think that's an unfair criticism, because the only way they were going to win games mm-hmm. was if Cat went crazy, and yeah. they you know they were not meaningless stats when they won games. It was because Cat went 37, 18, and 6. And so, you know, those weren't meaningless stats. If, if I'll tell you who had meaningless stats always was Zach Levine when he was here. 
You know, there was a guy, he was the king of the three-point shot down seven with 47 seconds to play. <laughs> I mean, that's Zach Levine in a nutshell. Had to get my <laughs> usual Levine rip in. <laughs> I think He's that's only a, been gone two years. <laughs> I think that's a really interesting point about Cat sacrificing on the offensive side to be a better defender because I think he probably could. He exerts so much energy on the offensive end of the floor. He's you can see it in the way that he fouls. Every offensive foul he makes is because he's trying so hard to get a bucket or to create space for somebody else. And that will be interesting to see if that's an approach that somebody like Rosas tries to take because Katz, he might make 180 million bucks because of his offensive game. But if somebody can get through to him, hey, you know, you could average 23 and 12 and play a little bit, little bit better defense, your team's probably going to be better. And I think when we talk about big picture, that's the ultimate question is how much will he accept that? How much is he going to say, yeah, I'm cool scoring five, six less points per game? Because his behavior up to this point has not illustrated totally. that he's any bit okay with that. I'm also somebody who believes that youth affects your brain mm -hmm. and and as does maturity, affects it in, in, in a positive way. And I, I think it could change, but from having watched and rewatched a ton of Carl Anthony Towns play basketball – it is so blatantly clear, despite all of his words, that offense is so much more important to him. Mm -hmm. And it would really take somebody digging into him to convince him otherwise. And I think that's where the hope lies in Robert Covington. Yeah, and that's the pushback I would make is that it isn't so much that offense, I think success mm -hmm. is what gets Towns going. And if you remember that stretch so. where they went nine and three shortly after Covington joined, right away, Towns was a, a banshee at that That's end awesome. of the court. I mean, he he went, he knew when to challenge. He was getting those balls that looked like they were going to go out baseline. He would track those down. Um, he wasn't uh, selling out at the wrong times for blocks that weren't going to happen. And some of that was because he had somebody there in his rookie year. The first time he ever took the court, it was beside Kevin Carnett and Tejon Prince, the smartest thing Sam Mitchell ever did. Mm -hmm. And he was a good defender right out of the chute. He, you know, and if, again, I repeat, if somebody is there to erase some of his mistakes, then his infamous reliance on his instincts mm -hmm. becomes more closeted and he gets a little smarter in terms of what he does. And he likes the idea of regarding himself as a good defender. And if he gets two or three good defensive plays, he gets better. Uh, you know, the momentum grows. And it's easier for him to make offensive momentum. But if Covington and perhaps Okogie, I mean, I love the fact that he just sees himself as Okogie's big brother. I, I really encourage that relationship because Okogie's all about defense. And if they can become like a tandem where Towns regards himself as big brother and he's yeah. to Okogie what Covington is to him, then you got something going on. Hmm. Um, I just think it, if you want to, if you get bored in the middle of the summer and you start missing the Timberwolves and you want to watch a game that from the that initial run with Covington, it was go back on the league San pass Antonio? if you have it. No, the Charlotte Hornets game. Is that yeah, home? that was great. Mm -hmm. that, that, was, was, that was both ends. But was, you know that San Antonio second unit game, though? Yeah. Man. Oh, man. Where they, yeah, but, but they it, I destroyed meant, the Spurs. Yes, but I'm talking specifically yeah, the, about the Towns, Hornets game, Towns and Covington yeah, okay. together. Right. And, and they were playing a team who 
relies incessantly on the high pick and roll with Kemba Walker. Right. And they're great at it. He's great at it, at least. Right. And they destroyed it. Towns and Covington not dropping the center ever and just attacking it. Mm -hmm. And it was... Some of that is Tyler Zeller isn't going to give you that backdoor dunk very often. (laughs) Cody Zeller, he's all right. Cody Zeller, I get my Zellers mixed up. In my notes, that was a potential Gorgie Jang trade that I put out here, but... (laughs) I was already made fun for my tenacity. <laughs> yeah, so, well. um, I, there, there is, and that's why I was so excited for the last twenty games of the season or whatever to see more Covington. We didn't get it. Um, it's a shame, but it happened. It did happen in a in a smaller sample size, but in a and we didn't even have Sharich on the court. See, that's yeah. the thing. If we get the two Philly guys and Towns as a front court and a smart mm-hmm. coach and a smart Pobo. That's my hope for this team, you and know. I, and I think it's, it's possible. I think it's warranted. It, I don't think it's us, and I don't think we ever would be blindly optimistic. <laughs> um, all right, uh, thank you, Britt, for for coming on. I think we'll put a we'll put a pin in it until whatever's yeah. next, the draft or the off season. <laughs> As you alluded to, there's a million different things up. There's a million different possibilities that ways that this this can all shake out. But personally. Um, I'm just encouraged that it's for somebody who wants what's best for the team, that it's a different set of eyes that is now able to look at and assess the situation and dream about what uh, what can come. Because you do, if you want to call him your James Harden, like Rosas has that here t- to some degree, and there's there is room there's room for optimism with the next two, three, four five years and uh yeah uh i don't know unless i miss anything we, we hit on we hit on all the things charlie i think we got it all all right uh you can follow brit's work at the athletic uh him and john krasinski do a a great job there hopefully john can take a break i feel like he hasn't done that yet. <laughs> well you know i mean yeah, that's why he gets the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're listening, John, um, <laughs> to this 90th minute of this podcast. Uh, yeah, and then uh, Charlie and I, Charlie's doing his m- kind of has done a Monday series on going through the main positions on the team. So anybody listening to that, check that out. If you have a insatiable desire for, for Wolves content in May, uh, we'll we'll have more on the, yeah, I'm assuming the press conference with, Gerson Rosas next week, yeah. is probably coming sometime soon. So as we know with the NBA, it doesn't actually really stop. So John Krasinski and all of us will continue to uh, to push along. Who, by the way, is uh, phenomenal. He's the gold standard in terms of reporting on basketball in this town. I mean, as much as I make fun of John, when uh, you know we, we really compliment each other well because the things he likes to do are not the things I like to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I do not want to be on pins and needles trying to figure out how to get the <laughs> scoop over Woj in terms of who's going <laughs> to be the did. guy. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just one of those things where uh, – but uh, couldn't ask for a nicer colleague and a more expert colleague in terms of uh, dealing with him and I um, – I don't have any stake. I'm not a, uh, you know, I'm not one of these guys that likes to uh, bang the drum for his own website, but I do think John is a great read. And if you join The Athletic and you care about basketball, I think it'll be worth your money. And it's, it's, 
it's not just the Timberwolf stuff that I think is good there too. You guys have our yeah, it's a good stable. It's a it's a good stable. That's a good way to put it. So, um, all right. Well, until next time, Charlie and I will be back next week. I don't know. We'll see where the NBA is at at that point, and we'll we'll have something more for you then. Um, yeah, but until next time, peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else.